Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California, for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. Hello, and thank you for joining us at Health Matters. Today we're going to be doing something somewhat unusual for Health Matters Radio. We're going to be talking about a film a National Geographic film coming out September the 30th, just a few days from today, that's put together by uh, the famous director and producer Sebastian Junger and the award-winning Nick Quested. Nick will be joining us briefly, but before he joins us, I'm going to read you a, a synopsis of this film. In Central America, a caravan of migrants seeking a better life heads north to the United States as narco-traffickers, part of the cause for the caravan, move drugs and money back and forth across the same border. From Academy Award-nominated director Sebastian Junger and Emmy Award-winning producer Nick Queston, Blood on the Wall explores the depths of corruption plaguing Mexico and Central America and the policies of the past that have made it impossible for everyday people to find justice. Filmed in 2018 and 2019, just as the caravans made international news, Blood in the Wall is both an intimate and wide-ranging as it is. It follows a 17-year-old journeying from the Honduras, a mother and daughter, and their family trying to make the life-threatening trek easier for their kids, and smugglers and trafficklers who reveal what set them on their path. Using the same on-the-ground journalism and granular point of view that Junger and Quested have used in Hell on Earth, the fall of Syria, and the rise of ISIS, and Oscar-nominated Restrepo, Blood on the Wall brings the humanity of the migrants to the forefront and untangles how politics and the drug trade, violence and the desire for safety, result in unbelievable anguish happening in plain sight. In 2017 and 2018, thousands of people fleeing violence from drug cartels and gangs, economic instability, lack of food and safety, and the shattered government infrastructure in Central America began life-threatening migration through Mexico to the United States border, seeking a better life in America. The Trump administration demonized these caravans and implored leaders in Mexico, Honduras, Nicaragua, and El Salvador and Guatemala to try to keep their citizens from fleeing. Most America media wrongly reduced the migrants' reason for for enduring extraordinary hardship to merely wanting access, strike that, access, to a now mostly mythical U.S. safety net and a misreading or ignorance of history and modern geopolitical reality, tragically underestimating the dangers that they were fleeing. 
The truth of why so many people from Central America continue to journey to the United States, a country now in the grips, the deadly grip of the COVID-19 pandemic that has left its own citizens ironically unable to travel to many countries, including Mexico, due to the coronavirus fears, is at the heart of Sebastian Junger and Nick Quested's incisive, intense documentary, Blood on the Wall. The accepted idea is that it's de- and a dehumanizing one is that migrants are opportunistic economic predators. There is no acknowledgement that the people will do anything to not leave their homes, says Junger. The National Magazine Award and Peabody Award winner who's explored the human experience in impossible situations for Vanity Fair, the New York Times, Harper's, in books including the 1997 best-selling The Perfect Storm, and in films including the 2010 Oscar-nominated Restrepo, as well as Corrigal, The Lost Patrol, Hell on Earth, The Fall of Syria, and The Rise of ISIS. Human beings love their homes and do not leave their homes. It is under enormous duress, less under enormous duress, Junger continues. So when some think about people who try to come here, they need to dehumanize them and say, oh, they leave their home at the drop of the hat just to come to America. But that's not the human act. That's not how humans act. People flee when their children's lives are at stake. It doesn't require a bizarre theory that they're coming to take advantage of a system. A thousand miles of hard road is nothing compared to the thought that some gang in a Nicaragua slum will kill their children. Blood on the Wall came together as Junger and his production partners and co-producers and co-director Quested were exploring their next project after Hell on Earth. Junger and Quested wanted to look at another global hotspots to examine the geopolitical dynamics that fuel them. As they decided on Mexico, Junger says, we wanted to try to understand why is there a level of dysfunction and violence in this country at our border? Where did it come from and where is it going? Pre-production research, knowledge, and timing coalesced as Quested began the research process that brought brought a small Mexican-based crew together. We decided on Mexico prior to the caravan, says Cuesta, whose work has encompassed social reform, international issues, war zones, refugee crisis, and the rap music world. There had been a smaller caravan about a year before we started, but we wanted to focus on the larger issues surrounding migrations. So we went down and began researching, researching it to tell the story of what's going on there. We decided um, the story had numerous spokes in a wheel that led straight to humanitarian tra- tragedy, most visible to the world via the ongoing immigration crisis. The complex web of forces, including the, na- the state insecurity, the supply and demand of the drug trade, has resulted in deep problems within Mexico, which was ruled by the inst- Institutional Revolutionary Party the PRI, from 1929 to 2000, in which hadn't expelled the remnants of the systemic 
dictatorship, including under current president uh, Manuel Lopez Obrador, referred to as AMLO, who took office in 2018. <clears throat> Mexico, which had a record 34,500 murders in 2019, according to the New York Times, has all the hallmarks of a failed state, and it's right next to the most affluent country in the world. It really needs to be understood, says Younger. If you're going to understand Mexico, you have to understand immigration, the narcotics trade, the symbiotic relationship between America and Mexico, and an acknowledgement of the enormous amount of drugs that Americans buy, which fuels the narco state. If you don't see it in a holistic way, you'll never figure out the problem. You'll never help people on either country to rise to a better place, Junger adds. After Junger and Cuesta team began researching and pre-planning, Cuesta assembled a small crew to go to Mexico. I worked pretty exclusively with the Mexican crew there, said Cuesta. That's a big difference from what I normally do. Another thing that was crucial was talking to local journalists, cameramen, and connections to get a perspective of what's going on. Executive producer Nico Lupo Sonnabend's role was essential. A native of our Barcelona who covered the Syrian war and other Middle East issues for the Spanish radio Sonnabend came aboard in 2017 after meeting Junger and Quested at a screening of their Hell on Earth. We are all awash in, by news of the caravans from many media, and we see that news through the political lens. So we become desensitized to the stories of the migrants and other related human stories, says Sanabin. But it's so important to understand why they're doing this. To get to the heart of the migrant experience, as well as to truly understand the narco smugglers network, and the dynamics of the drug trade, both in the U.S. and Mexico, that fueled the violence south of the border, Junger, Cuesta, and their team collected hundreds of hours of footage over two years through interviews with experts and diplomats, technology, and on-the-ground journalism. Nick jungled a dozen different storylines, and the logistics of keeping cameras in the field he never lost a thread, says Younger. His ability to multitask is staggering. He has cameras with people like we did in Syria. He had a drone in the air. I wouldn't have been surprised if he had a submarine, says Quista. It's an honor to work with Sebastian as a partner and a mentor. I would want to go and tell people everything about what's going on. He'd, he'd focus it into a, a narrative. We're both very lucky to be able to do this type of long-form journalism. Junger further explains the goal of his and Cuesta's work. There are powerful documentaries out there that are more related to activism. They provide an important service. Yet journalism is a neutral look at all sides. If you apply the standards of veracity in a reported story, to documentary filmmaking, then you get the whole truth about a subject. And the view the viewer then makes their own decisions about what that world, about that world. Documentaries that present the truth 
may get some backlash, but the truth is crucial to understanding how we can act to protect ourselves and other people from tragedy. With the caravan, one of the goals of Blood on the, on the Wall was to put faces on the caravan. To do this, Cuesta and his crew, his crew followed Ludi, a 17-year-old from Honduras, <clears throat> traveling with her boyfriend and a group of their friends, as well as Sarah, their daughter, her daughter. Charles and Charles' children were from Guatemala. Quested gave Luda an Android camera to record her experiences and then used geotracking to locate them en route to the U.S. border. He would then collect the phone's SIM cards to incorporate her footage. Some media talked about the caravan like it was a Genghis Khan horde, says Junger. Yet the vast majority of the people in it are well-intentioned, struggling mightily to lead dignified lives. If you think that people trying to find safety have some other malevolent ends, for the most part, you're wrong. There may be some individuals do, but there are not populations that do. And that, to me, is the core message that virtually every documentary on a subject like this should contain. People want to live lives that are safe and dignified, and the pursuit of these things may force them to do things that are problematic, but that's different than having a malevolent motivation. The filmers, filmmakers say, for various reasons, the migrants followed, the film, followed in the film never expressed concern about the Trump administration policy of family separation at the border carried out by U.S. US immigration and enforcement. Many migrants, subs, uh, many, um, migrants subsequent detention in ICE facilities. While they were traveling, it was not a complete awareness of the ICE policy at, at, at border represented. They may have heard of family separations, but many didn't try to grasp what was happening in the ICE facilities, says Sanaben. The migrants we were with didn't think about what they might what might happen next. They saw America as a spa safe space that would provide a better life for their kids. People knew the stories of migrants who suffered once in the U.S., but the future wasn't a worry. Every day they had to decide which route to take, how to keep moving, how to protect their family. Crested said when a small film crew met with the caravan a few days before they crossed into Mexico, it numbered two to 3,000 people. The crew spoke with the caravan's organizers and other migrants before meeting Ludi and her friends, Sarah, Charles, and their, and their family. We knew we wanted to have unaccompanied minors in the film because that's such a big part of the immigrant experience, said Cuesta. At a river crossing into Mexico, Ludi and her boyfriend and their friends were having a swim. We got on well. They were hip-hop fans, and I'd done a lot of hip-hop videos and docs. We could tell Ludi we had energy and openness. She was a compelling person to follow. Her energy at the beginning of the film echoes the energy of the caravan as it crossed into Mexico. But as the caravan progresses, the scorching sun bearing down, the hunger setting in, the other hardships the migrants faced, you could see Ludi's energy ebbs. She has doubts and moments of weakness. You could see how, in the end, she is a different, in a different situation. Sarah and Charles 
offered a different, another side of the migrant experience captured in the film. Sasanab and Sarah and Charles had to deal with kids and to protect them from the hardship of it all, trying to help little kids enjoy their lives during the migration. They were also a mother and a daughter holding a big family together, and it was great to feature two strong women. As for the threat of separation at the border, Cuesta said, Sarah and Charles' fear of that was inevitable and thus easier to face. Whereas the crime in their home country is violent and erratic, unpredictable and escalating, for them they'd rather choose a devil they can't see. The migrants' lives have no value in Mexico, said Sonobun. That's why there are so many massacres and disappearances of many people in Mexico, but especially of migrants. A mass grave of 150 migrants is common. It says a lot about the main reason of the caravan. If the migrants run into trouble, they have a group around them. Many of the families were following, were scared because people had tried to kid, uh, kidnap their kids out of the journey as they'd been robbed. With 5,000 people around with so many eyes watching, there were still dangers. But imagine how much worse it would be if they were by themselves. So this is um, this film is going to be shown on uh, the National Geographic Channel Wednesday to September the thirtieth at nine o'clock Eastern Time, eight o'clock Central Time. So we'll take a little break and be back with you briefly with Nick Cuesta. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Health Matters Radio. This is Dr. Ned Hoke, now joined by Nick Cuesta, the uh, producer of. Uh, the, a new film, the National Geographic film called Blood on the Wall. Thank you, uh, Nick, for uh, taking some time for us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So, as I uh, as I mentioned to you before we got on, that we, our listeners have already heard a, a fair amount about the film, uh, and they've also heard that it's, it's going to be on the National Ge Geographic Channel on September the 30th, which just a few days from today, and so they can look forward to it. And it's a... Uh, so I thought we might start for our listeners' benefit to go back a little bit and talk about the, the, the sort of style of filming that you do, the sort of right-on-the-ground kind of work that our listeners may be not familiar with. But let's, let's talk about your, your basic intentions with the kind of filming the documentaries that you do so our listeners can feel what you're, where you're coming from. Well, I'll go to... Um is to go where people don't normally go so that we can actually report from, um, we can report actually what's happening. discussion of a political nature about migration and murderers and rapists on caravans. We felt it was our, our as journalists, it was our duty to go and actually report back at who actually is on these caravans, who actually make the decision to become a narco-soldier. Um, did we combine that with the political and social history of the region? And we've done this, this is a style of filmmaking that we've developed that comes out of Sebastian's writing. So Sebastian wrote The Perfect Storm, and you can see the genesis of this style where you have the story of the uh, fishermen, and then you have uh, a section on wave action, and we go back to the story of the fishermen, and then go into the depletion of, of, of uh, fish stock, fish stocks in close to the um, Massachusetts coast, and then 
And then so we alternate the micro and macro view in order for people to understand the ramifications of policy uh, in the region. Okay. Uh, our, our, our sound is quite muddy. Uh, are you talking on a cell phone? Is that better? Yeah, that's yeah. Let's <laughs> thank you. Uh, we yeah we were we were um, muddy was a good word. So okay so okay th- I appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, okay so you can f- in this particular film you let's 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 start at the, let's start about the beginning of of putting together the the concept of of, of of making this film. What. What got you and Sebastian started on this particular theme? How did you get to the idea of Mexico? How did you make that choice? Well, after our film, Hell on Earth, uh, which was about the war in Syria and Iraq, we wanted to find a subject that was closer to home and something that had an impact on America. And so I think that Mexico has been vilified and migration has been such a... um, controversial subject that we want to try and explain why migrants have taken the decision to leave their houses and walk across one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And we wanted to personify that. We wanted to say, this is the face and this is the person that got to be are prepared to walk through a hundred degree heat in order to um, because they think it's safer. They think that they stand a better chance and a better um, they didn't have a better chance by leaving their house. And who wants to leave their house? Well, that's of course as, <laughs> and and that's and, and to have our uh, president and the administration talking about uh, rapists and murderers uh, was such a different picture. Uh, so you you do you go through it. Geograph or not ge- yeah, geographically, but also you go through it in, in the issue of time. You talk about you start back before the neoliberal period. You in this film, and you then you move us through the the consequences of the, of the neoliberal period coming in the '90s, and then you bring us up to the present. So maybe in a in a brief way, you could talk about that. Those, Boy, you're you're really going through a lot of noises there. I don't know what you're doing. Are you are you walking around or? No, no, I'm sitting at my desk. Oh, okay. Well, something is moving, and it's not me. So anyway, um, but okay. So the, of course, everybody was aware of NAFTA, and 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 they somehow they there was this great story that NAFTA was going to be this benefit to to both countries, and it your film is one of the. Uh, uh, messages that we need to look at to to ask to assess whether NAFTA and and the, the all the things that kind of built around that whether that was actually working or not. Say something about your sense of the big picture of of NAFTA and what consequence that had to the story you needed to tell. Well, um, uh, NAFTA is one thing and. You could, also, you could look at NAFTA as this liberalization of trade between the two countries. Well, you know, one of the largest trades between Mexico and the United States is narcotics. So do you think that um, the massive increase in the volume of trade of whether it be cars or consumer durables or farm produce, uh, do you think without those that 
you think without that massive increase in the just the number of cars across the border, you think that do you think nar- the narcotics business could have existed without those? It was a turbocharge to the narcotics business. Um, and then you've got to look at uh, the other thing about NAFTA that NAFTA, NAFTA for order for Mexico to sign NAFTA, there needs to be a constitutional change. So they basically used NAFTA um, to um, try to, to nationalize uh, community property, like uh, a land, land, because like basically like community farm property uh, that they gave to individuals, and then they ended up large conglomerates ended up scooping up the those formerly community um, uh, farm areas and turned it into you know into large uh, farm units for multinational corporations. So this is another part of the um, another pushback to that you're starting to create this you know you're starting to to disincentivize the a, a rural population from staying. So they moved to the city or they joined with the narcos. Like, there seems to be increasingly less options except for low-paid manufacturing jobs for the American market. Of course, NAFTA caused a huge internal migration within Mexico itself, from the south to the, to the factories uh, that lie just south of the border in Monterrey or throughout Monterrey to Tijuana to Mexicali. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, and one of the things your film does so uh, deliciously for someone who cares about the topic is you really you show the humanity of the people so, so successfully. I, I really am just so proud of your work. <laughs> I, don't know, I, have re- I have a reason to be proud of it, but it, it just shows the humanity of the, of the people. And it shows, and, you're, and, and so much of this film is coming at it from the people's point of view. We're really on the ground with you. And, and so it, it took quite a long time to, to put all this together. Uh, so, and, and you, you go through uh, the dis- description. So that as, as we move through the film, we can feel the development of what's happening. Uh, why these, why these it, what you just said was the, the, uh, what NAFTA created and how that facilitated and was commingled with the narco world. And, and you, you, you go into the, into the woods. So talk a little bit about going into the woods with the narcos people. It sounded to me like you, and you looked like you were, you're right there on the ground. You're right there in the man, where they're making the heroin. You're right there where they're slitting the poppies and, and squeezing out the, the, uh, the product. So talk about being on the ground with the narcos and help us understand how these people are part of the, and not just sort of stranger, strange criminals, what they are is they're people struggling to make a, make their way in the world. I mean, yeah, you've got to think about the circumstances that these guys live in. They live in rural, inaccessible communities that, ironically, are not that far from large metropolitan areas. So the, the village that we went to, which was right next to the village of El Chapo and Azurba Time Labor, was called El Logalito. And it took us four or five hours to get there, and it's maybe 100 miles away. So they have very little, even if they were successful farmers, they have very little option because the land is so mountainous to get their, their produce to market. So you've got to imagine a town that only has running water, 
and um, electricity because El Chapo and Atulabotan paid for it. These are very deprived rural communities, and um, what choices do these guys have? They can go to the cities, and um, and they get swept up in the same um, argument. Like they have little uh, skill sets, but they are geographically perfectly suited to export whatever America wants to take advantage of the delta of pricing between the, between Mexico and the United States. So I think you need to look at this economically rather than um, militarily and politically. I think if you want to reduce the incentive for drug smuggling, you either you have to reduce the demand or you have to reduce the price. And we've seen that starting to happen with the legalization in many states of cannabis. And it's no longer in the interest of the cartels to export marijuana from uh, Mexico to the Americas to America. It's the the price to weight ratio is is wrong. So um, if we want to if we want to see a downturn and less incentives for people in 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 rural areas of Mexico not to join the cartels, then we have to take away the financial incentives, and that and that going to take some political will. Well, you, the, you point out as you develop the sort of the political timeline and, and you show a, really a, a wonderful map about how the pre controlled the whole of Mexico for a period of time and then over time uh, the, the pre-dominated uh, political map changed. A little, and so, so quite recently in the last 20, 30 years, the what had been a, a consistent organization, at least, uh, however corrupt it was, at least it was rather widely uh, sp spread around. Not, now suddenly, this it's changed, and the political powers have changed remarkably over uh, recent years. And so, um, uh, I don't have any particular place to go with that. But uh, the, the 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 reason that one of the reasons I, I was eager to have you on this show was to really is to get people to see the movie because what you do is you bring so alive the this, this story of the people. And, you, and, and we, of course, in America, we saw the caravans and we, we heard the ugly voices of our uh, political leaders uh, make fun of them and, and disparage them in various ways. But you had to believe, as you looked at the caravans, that these people were not as exactly as you say. These people didn't want to leave home. They had it, but the, so there, there you are. And, and according to what I read somewhere, you, you didn't even know that the, you didn't even go looking for the caravans, but the caravans kind of showed up at, at the time you were there. So then you were able to film as the caravans, for instance, got to the uh, uh, got got to the lower Mexican border. So, so talk a little bit about that moment as you as we as we watching we're watching the film and and there's those yellow gates. And the, the, the force of the of pub public just pushes, pushes, pushes through those gates. So talk about how it was to do the filming during that process, if you wouldn't mind. Oh, no, not to me. So, yeah, we didn't choose the caravan to start, but we were focused on migration. So um, we had various families that we'd researched who were currently on their journey, and then the caravan just happened. So we immediately traveled over the mountains of Chiapas to the border 
and got there the day before the caravan started to form. Um, one of the first people we actually bumped into when we crossed into Guatemala was Ludi. And she was just swimming. And then, but you felt this incredible feeling of hopefulness and power from the caravan. You felt, you really, it was a political statement where they were protesting the violence and corruption in their countries by walking across the most dangerous country uh, in the Americas. And by making themselves vulnerable, it was a political statement that they was like, we're prepared to cross. Imagine what our lives are like if we're prepared to walk through a 100-degree heat right. into the lion's den. Right. And so when, when the caravan was there in Guatemala trying to cross, it was very powerful. The, the, there was such a sense of force and hopefulness and optimism that it was pretty much impossible. You've got to think of the caravan like water. Even though that there was this token gesture by the... Um, Mexican federal police to um, stop the caravan at the bridge. The border there is already so porous that they just crossed by the raft, <laughs> right, right. or they walked across. Right. I mean, it's it, you know, and and truly, you've got to think about really how serious the attempt was by the Mexican government. If they were to stop it, what are they going to do with those eight thousand people? You've caused a, a it'll be a humanitarian catastrophe to leave that caravan in one place for for a length of time. He needed to be prepared to house them, to feed them, to give them sanitation, to give them fresh running water. And there was no preparation. So the 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 great leader can thank Mexico for stopping them, but he was it's really only a political gesture to appease him. Right. And and you know when we were on the caravan, it was probably the safest we felt the whole time in Mexico. I mean, they were, we felt part of the caravan. We felt protected by the caravan. And we would see, you know, less than salubrious characters along the way. Um, but there was no, no, there was never any threat to us because the caravan was there. And, and even to the point, like, physically to protect us. I remember I was shooting one day and I was walking backwards and there was a huge drainage hole next to it, like a drainage grate. And I was about to um, step into this huge <laughs> hole, like it was probably like three feet deep, and like right. I'd probably, you know, end up with an ankle break. I don't know, it could have been bad. Right. It was like a narrow hole, and it was deep. And this guy ran from like five, ten feet away, and basically threw himself to stop me falling backwards in the hole. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a, and that's that's people were looking out for us all the time. If we drop a battery, they pick it up and give it to us. I mean. Uh, they, you know, it was a, it was an incredible experience to, to 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 document the the real people that were on the caravan and not the caricatures that people have painted for political purposes. Exactly, as as you say, these are not opportunistic people looking to to rip rip off Americans and rape rape and murder. These are and and the the incredible sweetness that you were able to. It, it, uh, show in the film of the of the people. It was the 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 uh, the look on the faces of the people. The the way they walk, the way they are were with each other. It was so uh, warm hearted what you were able to show. And so it it. I hope our listeners will will get a chance to see the film because it's such a complete antidote to anything that you may have heard 
in the popular popular press. So this film is going to be shown uh, on the National Geographic Channel on Wednesday, September the 30th. So uh, Nick, is this film going to be shown elsewhere at, at later, or is it we do have this one chance, or tell us a little bit about distribution? Um, no, it's a it's it's a National Geographic film, so it's broadcast this uh, Wednesday, September the 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and then it will be repeated on National Geographic, and then it will end up on Hulu in the fullness of time, um, uh, which is you know obviously Disney streaming service. So ah, okay, um, that's what I was looking you for. You can wait right. for it to look there. Right, right. Or you'll be able to buy it on iTunes, I'm sure, in the uh -huh. in the uh -huh. medium term. A, a wonderful work and a powerful and meaningful work. Nick Queston, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. I really am grateful for this film, and I'm grateful for you, again, for you taking the time for us today on Health Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Good day, sir.